You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. Dude, I'm just, I'm, to me, I'm sitting with a legend. I knew that. You know, that that's the thing. Like with him, I was such a vulgar came out. I mean, Cowboys from Hell came out. Then vulgar came out. Vulgar changed everybody. If you wanted to play any heavy music, you know, you, you everything you were writing, you threw away. And said, <laughs> I got to start over. That just <laughs> desecrated all of everybody. Metallica backed up. They were the biggest at that point. They were winning all the Grammys, all the the non-stupid shit. But it was like that album just was affecting everybody. And it was just real. It was like, uh, see, here's the, we, we, we rock, you know, we're a rock band, right? We're, we're rebellion art. And I think we forget that. We get lost in the practice, practice, practice. No, we're rebellion art. Without the rebellion arts part of it, it's just notes. Ladies and gentlemen, Corey's been kind enough to let me, he's my compatriot along with Siobhan Cronin, introduce this show, 2020, 2020-D.com. Begrudgingly, I've begrudgingly allowed you to start. (laughs) Well, because we have a super freaking amazing guest this week, and I say this just because, like, some people that come on, like, we like them. And some people look, we really like them. And man, I fucking love this guy. I fucking yep. love him. And what a great guitarist. What a great dude. What a great producer. Like, what a great human being from the band Seether, but also not to be lost on Stuck Mojo and Stereo uh, Stereo Mud. Stereo Mud. I, I got Wicked Stone before this. Um, and <laughs> no. I, by the way, I love the song Pain. We were just talking about, like, Corey, tell the story. Yeah, about, no. Uh, uh, it, but we didn't say so, his name, by the way. It's, it's, it's Corey Lowry. Yeah, Corey Lowry. Great, great first name. Um, Cal- but, uh, Corey. Yeah, so With the he, added E, pay yes, for the extra he, vowel yeah, in his words. He, he did buy the extra vowel. Um, but it's funny because this is a guy uh, that, I had no idea existed <laughs> as, as sometimes our guests are. And then I'm super happy to now know him. But um, Ben and I were at the star set show a few weeks back and they were playing with Seether. And so we got to see Seether. So they, you know, they killed it. They have so many hit songs, you know, you know, every song you can sing all the lyrics. And it's I remember seeing the guitarist and thinking that guy's nuts and didn't put too much stock into it. But then we get to talk to him today and find out that, uh, you know, not only is a really great guy, but he was, in stereo mud and not only that but he wrote the music in stereo mud and stereo mud was on my ipod in 2000 and whatever freaking three or something like that i'm sitting sitting in high school blasting pain by stereo mud for probably months because at the time i was very obsessive about the music i was listening to and then you know just having the chance to talk to him today and just it was a really big full circle moment um yeah and and a reason that i'm grateful to have you know have this kind of platform with you guys 
Well, he had some amazing stories to tell, and it was a pleasure for me to be able to get to know him on the tour we've been doing with uh, Seether the last couple weeks. Um, I guess it'll be over by the time this episode comes out, but let's jump right in. Part one with my friend, our new friend, Corey Lowry of Seether. Stay tuned. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm Siobhan Cronin here, as always, with Benny and Corey, and we're excited to bring you another episode of 2020. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you haven't yet. And this week, I'm very excited to introduce my new friend, touring mate at the moment, Corey Lowry of Seether, guitar player, incredible musician. It's been really awesome to get to know you a little bit. Stereo uh, in Melon! Person. Stereo oh, Melon! Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's been awesome tour with you. You're the sweetest. You are the Oh, awesome. thank you. No, it's been awesome. It's It's been really fun. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that we're kind of back on the road and like meshing with other bands. I feel like it's been way too long. And I was super pumped that you were up for doing this because it's really cool to watch you play and like hear some of your thoughts on music. So I'm excited for you to share Absolutely. all of your wisdom with my friends here and all of our listeners, however many that may be. Yeah, it's really it's interesting for me, too, because, uh, you know, I have I've obviously tried we Ben and I both try to catch Siobhan whenever she comes by uh, through New England. So we were at the show and, uh, you know, I watched you on stage and then like, you know, a week and a half later, Siobhan's like, oh, yeah. He's gonna be on the show now. <laughs> it's like cool. Awesome. So like you got you know you guys killed it. it was, the whole show was was so cool. Um, you know, especially with with see there having so many hits, it like blows your mind. Oh, you're sitting there oh, like you're one of those bands. Like, every song, like I'm like, casual. oh yeah, that was on the radio. Yep, that was on the radio. Yep, that was on the radio. <laughs> we get that a lot, you know. Like you know, I, I think people are starting to put faces. You know, I, I, we we've never really. You know, we're that band like you know look how cool we are and yeah, we just like to write music play you know put records out and have fun and but you know i think it is important people make a face to this you know now we're in that place and you know the arena world is always fun so you know gotta yeah. put yourself out there a little bit more i guess you know? well i think Corey really hit on it because Look, man, you know, the, uh, we talked to John Garabedian, the, the DJ extraordinaire, and he basically said that most people, they stop like li- liking new music after like 20 years old. So it's like Pink Floyd, Queen, the Eagles, like nothing after, you know, fucking Aerosmith done with mirrors. That was fucking sellout. Like that's how, depending on how old you are, that that's how like your brain can be. But sure. like you, you still exist. So like if you were alive in the 80s, you know Prince and you know like the Eagles. I feel like if you were alive in like 2000 till now and you don't actually know your band, even just from like ambiance walking through the Hard Rock right. Cafe Casino, you're literally living under a fucking rock. It's it's it, it happens. You know, it's funny. It's like when you we get uh, <laughs> I, I'll have a, like a construction guy come over to work on my house or something. And he's kind of like, oh, yeah, man, so we can do this, we can do this. And then he'll walk in and he'll, and he'll go through my studio or whatever and see, you know, that, wait a minute, you didn't see either? I mean, we're going to discount this. Like, and I'm like, I was like, man, you know, like, be cool all the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, for so, sure. Perks of the gig. Yeah. yeah, perks of the gig, you know, I guess, you know, I, it's. It's like the inverse. It's like if you were a hot chick, like my fiance got bath fitters and they're like 10,000% overpriced and have the most ridiculous cutthroat shit. And they're just like, yeah, we're just going to make it better. And she's like, okay, let's sign this ridiculous contract and you can take my tongue. And like, whereas you're a dude 
They know that you're in a band, so automatically if you're in a band and you have records on the wall, you must be rich. And they're like, yeah, yeah oh, that's yeah. the guy we should give the discount to. Fuck right? you, man. Let's <laughs> nail him to the cross. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, through, through the years, through years of playing music and stuff, you've, we all have been doing this for a long time. And you get to meet so many people. And there's so many projects you work on producing to being in a band to a songwriter for other bands. And, you know, like, I, I don't really, sometimes I get a little, I, I just would like to work. I like to look forward and I don't really focus on what's happening at the, I, I need to slow down a lot more and pay attention to the present, I guess a lot more because, but I'm so excited because there's always something new to work on. There's a new record. We're doing a new record now, or I'm getting ready to work with this guy or this girl. And, and it's, it's been, I think it's, I don't want to slow down and pay attention to any of that. I just want to move forward. And later on in life, you know, when like people say, hey, man, you know, do we work together? And, you know, it's, you have all that. I mean, because, you know, that's what we are. We're servants, kind of, you know, we serve people and we're trying to make something cool happen for the society and, you know, and bright stuff that everyone can relate to and stuff like that. So it's, it's important for, to keep going. I think, I think you do get old when you slow down and say, you, look how cool I am and what my accomplishment, my accomplishment. Ben must be super old then. <laughs> yeah, by those standards. <laughs> well, I, I feel like the way he was describing it, like it was if Bill and Ted could describe, like we're servants to the people and everything must be excellent. I just well, love it. Man. Like, how you- do make we that's the whole focus, you know, is make everything undeniable, make it badass. You know, if it's not badass, if it's not real, hardest thing we do is try to be ourselves. You know, everybody's, you know, it's some you can get lost in that whole. Let me be this person or that person. But, you know, that's people see through that pretty quick these days, I think, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of being you, before we get too carried away, I want to just introduce you sort of to the listeners that may not know you. And I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about your story about getting into guitar, how you got exposed to music, your early influences, how you got on the path of being a musician. Sure. Um, my mom and dad played music. They were signed before I was born. And um, so I was walking around, you know, like through with musicians through my whole life, you know, mm-hmm uh bell bottoms and you know hippies and stuff like that and um i it, we didn't have a lot of toys so there was a lot of instruments around so we just picked up and we never learned one instrument it was learn everything you know like mm-hmm. my dad was my dad was a huge influence in, as far as saying hey i say how do you play gc and d and he's like i'm just watch me you know he never showed us one thing but we I would watch him, you know, I idolized him, you know, those was, was the first music I ever heard. You know, my first vision in life was being on this roadie's shoulders and I had his coat over my legs and I was looking through his Afro and <laughs> the stage was red. And I was like, my parents have superpowers. I mean, I thought they were making the stage red. I didn't know, you know, there were lights or anything and just the smell of the whole thing. And, the loudness, the people singing and stuff like that. So I was drawn to it um, at a super young age. My whole family, you know, my brothers were as well. But um, so I started out on guitar and 
bass and kind of drums and stuff like that. And, uh, and Christmas, uh, I wanted my own guitar and, and I think, uh, and Clint wanted to play drums. He was playing drums at that point. And, um, we couldn't afford a whole drum set. So I gave him my guitar and there was a bass and I started playing bass and there was, I was 11 years old and there was a band in my neighborhood. I had a big earth amp, this huge eight by 10 cabinet, which is kids. They thought that I was the cool, I got in the band cause I got a big bass amp basically. <laughs> and, but I was also, I could play all these things. And so I got in the band, I started playing bass professionally, like by, 15 I was playing with my father I played with him for three years and that he had perfect pitch perfect timing and it was incredibly hard to play with him still to this day the hardest thing I've ever done in music was play with him you know he would hit a flat or sharp note and he would give you that look and I mean scary you know that look (laughs) and it was just he had a discipline for the stage if you're going to get on stage you gotta know your stuff, you know. You, you, there's no more thinking about notes when you're on stage. It had to be know every, you know. Now you actually get to play the song. Other than that, you were thinking about the song. So, I um, I always took that serious, and the movements and stuff like that had to be just whatever happens, you know. Like people are like, I like the way you move. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, like stuff like that, and uh. Next thing I know, we started just keep keep uh, writing songs. Uh, Clint and I joined a band. We went out on tour. We've been touring since I was 15, you know, so it's it's been a long journey. And through those, I've been in Stereo Muts, Dark New Day, Stuck Mojo, I Empire, and, you know, like, and worked with hundreds of bands as far as producing at this point. I got to meet so many amazing artists. That are, and uh, producers and stuff like that, and I think if you stay open and ask questions, and th- they were so cool to teach, you know, be a you know just learn. How does this work? How does this compressor EQ work? How does the console work and stuff like that? And I just want I was fascinated by the entire thing. It wasn't just hey, let me just learn guitar. I mean that was that was sitting on my bed over here like hours and not had i didn't have friends growing up i had my guitar you know yeah and, uh, no it, it seems I mean, you told me a few stories that you were so influenced by your dad and you learned a lot about uh discipline um i'm curious what sort of music were your parents playing or what was like one of your early memories of being influenced by a sound or a certain band like was there a style that you were drawn to stylistic wise i loved like my dad was a very soulful like blues, soulful singer. He could sing like Otis Redding and I was just like Percy Sledge and could, but he would also go into the Hendrix thing with the guitar. And and so he was heavily influenced by uh, the heaviness of stuff, but he had this funkiness to him, you know, it was all feel and emotion. And he jammed, he would just, he never told me what songs we were playing. He would just start playing and you were like, you had to be on it. And you, you, your ear gets really quick to hear, you know, I didn't want to learn what, you know, pitch, you know, was or anything. I was just like, I just want to play with them so bad. Like, as soon as I would hear the G, okay, go to G, you know, and start playing. Um, I, it helped with my writing. 
uh, you know, that was the big thing for me was he said, learn all the instruments, learn at least enough to, you know, have an under solid understanding. So when you hear it in your head, you'll be able to write it all out. And um, so that was, that's where the writing began. And, you know, you write some, you know, some of my favorite songs are when I first started, because they're just absolutely, you know, in, you know, you pour your heart out into it. I thought they were like massive. Mm-hmm. They're the worst probably, but, you know, <laughs> But yeah, it's, 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 it's been, it's, it's a fun career to be in, you know, if, if you take all that in, it's not just one thing, you know, out here touring, you know, we, there's the show, but then there's 23 other hours, mm-hmm. so much to do if you want to do it, you know, so yeah, it something that, that, that you, that you just glossed over, um, and, you know, I guess, you know, being a stoner, I didn't put two and two until like Wikipedia, like freshened me up that your brother is clint lowry which you just kind of casually mentioned who's also in the band seven dust who i saw for the first time november 27th 1997 because that was with snot yeah Yeah, no because i I skipped i skipped i skipped i skipped the second set of the fish show that was going on at the centrum to go and catch that show because fish played two sets and i remember being like do i go to seven dust or do i go to fish because it was the first time seven dust had come to town and you guys are brothers and i've always thought that he was a fucking jedi and i think now listening to you listening about your dad your yeah. dad reminds me of someone like what I hear about like Prince was like or Frank Zappa was like or all these like amazing musicians are like, oh, they didn't tell me the set. Like Chuck Berry never told people the set. He would just yell the key sometimes. Old school, I heard. man. Yeah. Old school. Yeah. And yeah. Do you feel like that like really influenced your because like, clearly you guys have a genetic pool that's pretty fucking strong from what I've gathered from seeing yeah, Cedar yeah. and, and Seven Dust. Totally do you think that helped a lot? Yeah, because, you know, like we would sit at home and I think we you influence each other. Yeah, he'd hear me rehearse. I would rehearse. He would rehearse. Who can rehearse the longest? I mean, you know, twelve hours of the day goes by. And you're still in there. You know, you know, like killing it. And um, at the end of the day, I was that's. I, I think it that fun part of uh, the the competition part of hey man, let's put it in there. Let's you know, and, we're, and we were proud of it. It wasn't like, you know, you win or anything. The only thing you win is, hey, man, I'm better today than I am yesterday. And that was cool with us, you know. So, and we've, him and I have played in bands together and and written so many songs together. And But it was also important for each other to have our own thing. You know what I mean? It was, he has such a You did that, dude. You guys fucking did that. Music, you know, and <laughs> he wants to express all that stuff. It's hard. I think when you get too many people ex- wanting to express that hard, you know, I mean, it's his. I, I love working with all these bands and writing songs and stuff. He's got a solo career, Seven Dust. He's he's constantly working, and uh, you know, I think we still, you know, to the. This is just part of who we are at that point. You know what I mean? Um, and you know, there's, I'm I'm so happy and. To me, Seven S is one of the most underrated bands to this day. You know. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing to hear. Um, I, I want to go back and ask you about sort of building your career a little bit. And uh, you know, you mentioned you got into playing professionally really, really young. Like, what was the trajectory starting with your first band? Like, how did you sort of escalate to a more national level or being, you know, successful? Because there's 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 something that happens there, and I'm curious what the process was. Yeah. Um, 
So I played with my dad for three years. And at that point, um, Clint and I, I saw Clint was, he was like becoming a really good guitar player. And like, and I knew some other guys in town. And that's, uh, so I just picked the best musicians that you got to find the best in your area. And we, we found, you know, a, Troy McLaurin who plays with Evanescence and Bevan Davies plays with Danzig to a bunch of other people. And Donnie Hanbay was with signed with double drive. And so the, the that group, uh, we learned a lot together for about six years of touring. The important part at that point, I think in your life is to go out and earn it and learn how to tour, learn how, you know, for me, it was like, I never, we never got anything given to us. We always had to work real hard for everything. And, and, and they got, that band got to a point where we all knew we needed to make a decision of the next level and everybody's ready for their wings to sprout. Right. So I joined stuck mojo at that point and uh, they're just getting ready to take off. I could feel it. You know, like they're taking off seven us was taking off and and stuff you know the other guys were finding their bands and it was just that that time for all of us to spread our wings now i'm signed to century media which and we're touring the world you know and that was crazy you know to me i was like you know here we are in europe you know for the first time and you know meeting all these new fans and stuff like that and, um it it was it was an incredible experience and then then you have times in music where something doesn't something's not clicking and you want to start something else and that was for me uh, the direction after about three three four years in stuck mojo i i wanted to i had all these new songs and stuff and i wanted to put together a band and it, that's where stereo Mike came in and we got signed to uh, loud records and it was a hip hop label. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm like a hip hop label. You know, we were doing all these things and this was with the guys from Life of Agony, Propane and um the, to form Stereo Mud and the songs man were just something that was my baby, you know, I cared this was my first shot for me to write and here's what I sound, you know, here's what I can do, you know. And the guys were awesome and um but we got signed and it was a humongous deal. I'd never even, this was the first actual big deal, you know? And we were with uh, Loud Records with Columbia using their radio team. And um, and that thing was just, you know, a juggernaut of touring and the, re- you know, first time that I ever gone that high, you know, number three and on radio, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was so nervous, I'm like, it sucks. You know, that as soon as we were done the record, I'm like, this is the worst. And, you know, like you get so ner- you're so, in- have you ever been so into your stuff that you're like, I don't know, maybe I'm just bullshitting myself. Maybe I've lied to myself. Absolutely. And, it, you know, am I? No, and- none of us have had any self-doubt ever. No. <laughs> I think, I think that's all it is. I think that we, and we're the most like uh, insecure people in one sense, you know, like, it seems like we're confident, but at the end of the day, I think it's, it's that insecurity. 
let me tell you something about our band. We're in a band called Lost Symphony, okay? Mm-hmm. And this started off as like a dream project for basically, it's the COVID project before COVID because I basically sat in my basement and composed shit with these keyboards, like, like, like yes. And pretty much sent them out. I was like, what would happen if we got Marty Friedman? What would happen if we got Skolnick from Testament? What would happen if we got like that dude, Rusty Cooley, who was like faster than Ingve? And we did that. We fucking did it. We actually did it, Javon. But it's all, all that's, we, the, the, the list of guitarists is crazy. But one thing, like, I remember Jeff Loomis, who I'm guessing you, you're aware is he's yeah. a fucking Jedi. He's a Jedi science. Like, not, there's a point in your life where you go, like, I'm never going to be Jason Becker. You Jeff Loomis is like, to be Jason Becker, by the way. No, I saw your no. thing. I got, real fast, I'm giving you props for the thing you do for Jason Becker. I that, love Jason. That is incredible. That, is, what, that guy's Come play something. another planet. Dude, well, just so you know, yeah. if you come back with Seether, I'm I would love to put like one of those guitars in your hand if you want to play one of them on on the show. Out. <laughs> Dude, Jason would go out of his. Here's the thing, and I'm gonna say this again. The one thing, and I appreciate you talking about Jason because I mean I don't like to blow it up too much, but like Jason at this point, you know, he has ALS for people that don't know. If you don't know about Jason Becker, look him up. He's the Olympic guitarist of all time. Of all. And like what he did by 19 is better than almost any human being by the time that they pass away. And right now, because he's stuck in his own mind, the only thing I can think I can do that I can help him or impact is besides, you know, obviously we raised a lot of money um, to, to give him better life, but to entertain him. So like we had like Nina Strauss played Schools Out with Alice Cooper, who even gave him a shout out. Like I, I could not believe it. Like because of COVID, they had to do it on their phones. Sure. And I was like, I thought it was just going to be Nita. No, 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 no. Alice Cooper. And like Jason went out of his fucking mind. And I got to tell you, like I started crying because like, listen, man, I'm a piece of shit. But like that kept me out of hell for at least a week. Like (laughs) he he was so excited. The reason we sat on the the couch or the bed and practiced so hard. He was like, yeah, he was like, like, okay, we're never going to get there. But if we don't try, we'll never know. You know, like never. And, and even when you found out you, he was like one of those guys, you don't even when you find out, OK, I'm going to be probably this good. You know what I mean? This is how fast this will ever move probably, and all that stuff. He, you were you were happy to say he's still the king. You know, he's still the king. Like guy was coming up with stuff. I mean, I mean, what it's, it's, it's tragic. But at the same time, we're still talking about him today. You know, it's, it's, we're still it's talking one of those about things. how. Amazing was, you know. Well, and and the point that I was getting at with Jeff Loomis is that I remember Marty Friedman and him. We put them together as like a cacot. I didn't tell Marty because Marty would never play ball with this. If you know Marty Friedman, he's a little bit cantankerous. I, I love him. He's my hero, but he's he's cantankerous. I, if I said let's do a cacophony homage, he'd be like, "That's not happening." So I kind of like <laughs> snuck the pandas into the cage with Jeff Loomis and Marty Friedman. And when uh, Jeff played on it. I sent it to Marty and Marty kind of edited it back and I sent it to ba- back to, to Jeff and, and I sent it to him and Marty edited out like 90% of his guitars and Jeff played fucking like a goddamn champion, like a champion. And literally he was like, I knew he wouldn't like him. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Like, listen, if I played one millionth as good as that dude did, just yeah. shitting into a fucking guitar, I would be like, oh yeah, look at my schnutz, Marty Friedman. At five foot four, makes like six foot four. Jeff Loomis scared because he played in cacophony <laughs> as he should. Be. And that comes back to like the whole self doubt thing and how you know no matter no matter where you're at, I think everyone experiences that. And and if you don't experience that, it probably means you're not 
trying as hard as you should like you know you should kind of always have that voice in the back of your head that's like can i do better can i what can i do to make this you know more important and just just to give you a shout out on that that stereo mud uh pain lived on my first generation ipod for for years (laughs) and i used to always rock rock the fuck out to that song (laughs) it was a great track so much man play some stereo mud on this perpetual burn guitar this is the one man (laughs) if you google it right now look at the little fucking pink goddamn thing right here it's this is it (laughs) i feel ashamed to try to sweet pick on it but i'll hold it for this episode for Jason, a- by the way, Corey, if you could be kind enough, ALS awareness for Jason. The bottom of this, you can go to the neuroticguitarist.com. And Corey, I'm, Corey, this Corey, I, I, I would like to say that you're now on notice. You've you brought up Jason, and I am going to haunt you until you do something for him with one of these guitars. Absolutely, man. I would love to. I would love. Perfect. To, Practice was, now. Start. Like for me, well, it, for me, it touches a lot because like when I talk about my dad, my dad ended up getting Parkinson's. Oh, my God. And um, I'm sorry. And he you know, what's weird about music for many years, he would shake and stuff like that. But when he would play, all of it would go like back to normal. So there was something wow. about this music with the mind and the brain that helps you focus and get you know get that thing it, it was incredible to watch you know um and he you know he he was always super he laughed and made jokes about it he was just like one of us you know i mean just regular musician but like just you know like to to watch him deal with that and ha- and watch how the music could actually slow and help him i mean same with jason becker the fact that he can do writing and there are things going on, the things he's doing, the things that his father did as far as helping him be able to communicate music. It's insane. It's like, it's so off the charts and so cool that, you know, and, and every, you, you don't even have to know who he is, just to know his story a little bit and you'll be affected by how inspiring it's inspiration. I'm going to blow your mind right now because this blew my mind. So when I, I did that video, I got a call from his mom because Jason obviously can't call me because he has ALS. So people, if you don't know, if you haven't learned it yet, please go like Google Jason Becker's story or what have you and find and, and, and what Corey was just talking about. Basically, when Jason got ALS and couldn't couldn't work anymore, he devised a system with his eyes so he could basically talk to his dad with his eyes so he could still communicate instead of being trapped in his mind. And they even developed a computer software where he could move his eyes and continue to write psychotically good music. Incredible. Better music than you could ever imagine or fathom with his eyes. So it's one of those things where it's like, so I get a call and it's Serena who he wrote a song for his uh, handlers, I think slash girlfriend and his mom. And She's talking and it's like the, you know, when you watch the YouTube of like, you know, his dad doing it for the news for ABC and it's like how he can read his eyes so fast because he's so, you could tell he's taking care of this guy all the time. Like his dad literally, Gary Becker, so you know, sent me a book of poetry that he wrote. So this guy like writes poetry and like draws, uh, does paintings and stuff. And he's just like the most nice down to earth, like just loving dude. Like instead of like letting this stuff bum everybody out, they're the most upbeat people. And Jason called me and said, some angels don't have wings after he watched that. And I know I'm a scumbag from Boston, but I'll tell you right now, having his mom tell me that Jason Becker's 
literally using an eye system that you've seen on ABC News to tell her that I'm an angel, which is a lie, Jason Becker. But I'll take it all day. Dude, it's, it's, dude, I, I, I was it, t- even telling you this now. I feel like I'm just I'm lying and I'm bragging, and there's just well, no. We'll give you credit, man. I mean, I seriously that I saw <laughs> that. Crazy. And I, I saw that crazy. About you and I was like, that's a super incredible, incredible thing that you're doing for him. You know what I mean? There's, I appreciate you appreciating that. People that step out. You don't have to do any of this. You know what I mean? You do it, and because that guy affected you a certain way, and you want people to to understand what that really was. And I really appreciate it as a guitar player, as a musician in general, what you do for for that whole cause. I really think it's over the top cool. Yeah, and we'll have links to to those uh, the hashtag and and the other videos and stuff in the description here. So be sure to check that out. Um, you know, kind of on on the topic of of Jason Becker and Guitar Heroes, uh, who who were you looking up to? Uh, when you were kind of developing your style in guitar playing, like what you know, aside, aside from the people r- directly around you, who were your g- kind of guitar heroes? Guitar heroes. I mean, same as everyone else, probably. You you look at Eddie Van Halen, and you know, like to me, Dimebag. I actually got a tour with Dimebag, and when I was in with Stuck Mojo and Pantera before they broke up, and I'll tell you right now. Maybe second to none in that genre was Dimebag. I mean, incredible. Like it, it, it was it was mind blowing to watch they, every single night. It was like they were on, you know, Dimebag's four feet from me, watching me, you know, watching us do our thing. And and of course we're gonna watch, you know, but because he's Dimebag. And but I, I I could we had a who could play the most Van Halen contest. <laughs> in the concert like uh, we, we and i'm like well we're going on first let's play you know house of plump pain we're gonna do the cool ones and they go on and they're just whipping out van halen song van halen and the pantera fans are like <laughs> and dude by the time he kicks in to pantera i mean it was like i mean the earth was coming apart it was so cool. Um, just so many cool stories. I mean, he was a down to earth guy and you know, there again, like, uh, he left, he left us something that, you know, we'll never be able to re reproduce, you know, just like, you know, just like, uh, Becker, there's, there's, there's certain guys that are just, there's going to be something special about them eternally. You know, we'll always look back I, in his and I would ask him his influence. Eddie Van Halen's his influence. Um, Steve Ray Vaughn. We would talk a lot about Steve Ray Vaughn. Dude, we would listen to Little Wing on repeat of Steve Ray Vaughn and just like just get hammered and like <laughs> 10 times over and over. Just like, dude, listen no, no, right here and listen to his vibrato like. All these things, and then you know, like the, I, I'm so fortunate to have some of those memories, and of them, and you know, loving loved them to death, man. But uh, yeah, I mean, as far as playing, like you know, uh, my dad was always he's always going to be my first go to as far as guitar, like you know, because he had those weirds, the the big chords, not just the bar chords. Yeah, yeah. My dad was like. He knew the bar chords, you know, I'll go to my rock guys for that. But like my dad was like, he could play, you know, a lot of jazz and stuff like that. 
So I'd learn all these. I didn't know what they were called. I was just looking at his hands and go and blues chords and stuff like that and feel. To me, so to me, um, I see on TikTok. I, I, I get lost in that thing sometimes because okay. the, the amount of talent that's out there. Can I tell you that the best talent in the world will never be signed? Oh, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Ever. Yeah. And, and 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 you'll never know them. Probably you'll just come across them one day, and but they have no interest. Touring is hard. Everyone thinks that it's, you know, hey man, you're out there and then it's awesome, but it's, you know, can you leave your family? Can you leave your friends? Can you, and for years, it's like you're gone, you know, 300 days out of the year in the beginning is what we were doing. And oh my God. so that's a, that's a hard act. That's a hard thing to do. Um, and I got cousins that are amazing players and amazing players, but they're, they'd have no interest in touring life. You know, they, you know, they'll sit on that porch and bluegrass it to death. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But they don't want to go out on tour. You know, that's me and Clint, our dumbasses, you know, like, (laughs) but but it's, it's, you know, you love music and it doesn't matter to me. It's a, to me, it's not about the fame part of any so much as like just playing because you love it, man. You play because you have to, you don't play because, you know, I'm trying to be cool. You're playing because it's just something that comes to you and, and you're trying to express yourself in a certain way. And I, you know, the TikTok things got me freaked out because I look on these and I see these kids just killing it. Unbelievable. They don't even know. I don't even think they know what they are. Can I, yet. Can I tell you something that freaked me the fuck out? Because I always hate this because people will be like, here's the seven year old girl that played Eruption from Japan. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks for showing me a Japanese girl. But like, did she ever bang your girlfriend and smoke cigarettes? And in in, in like, like, that's a different sound. <laughs> this than, analogy than gets Eddie weirder every episode. Okay. No, but <laughs> I. I, I mean, it's with Dimebag Daryl. No, we talk Darryl, about this. Yeah, we talk yeah. about this a lot. But but with, okay, so there's all these people who are super, 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 like, crazy technical. But at what point do you say, like, because Dimebag Daryl, like, when he walked out, like, I'll tell you my first moment with Dimebag was OzFest 97. Okay. I didn't even really like heavy stuff. But I was like, okay. And I remember he played This Love. And I was like, oh, finally something a little relaxing. And I remember when he did his, like, first bend, he had this big long red beard and he just pointed up and he bent up. And I was like, what the fuck was that? It was a pinch harmonic. I didn't know what that was at the time. And then he did this dive bomb and he pointed down as a guy pointed, like poured wild turkey into his mouth. <laughs> and I said to him, but then he started doing the solo. And, and, and I'm like, who is this man? He's playing Converse. He's spitting out fucking drinks. He's like fucking literally like he's got uh, the the guys from Kiss. I, I don't really know Kiss, but I know Kiss is supposed to be cool. So I'm like, all right. So he likes Kiss and he's got the fuck. And I just remember leaving going, what the fuck did I just see? And I yeah. got to tell you that since that moment, I went back to my guitar teacher when I listened to the Cemetery Gates and said, what's that sound? He goes, it's called a pinch harmonic. And it changed my life. I mean, I love Zach Wilde after that, but like literally Dimebag Daryl was the first time I internalized that. And you're talking about listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan with him. What the fuck was that really like? What was going through your head? Dude, I'm just, to me, I'm sitting with a legend. I knew that, you know, that, that's the thing. Like with him, I was such a vulgar came out. I mean, Cowboys from Hell came out. Then vulgar came out. Vulgar changed everybody. 
if you wanted to play any heavy music, you know, you, you everything you were writing, you threw away. And so <laughs> I got to start over. That just <laughs> desecrated all of everybody. Metallica backed up. They were the biggest at that point. They were winning all the Grammys, all the, the non-stupid shit. But it was like that album just was affecting everybody. And it was just real. It was like, uh, see, here's the we 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 rock you know, we're a rock band, right? We're we're rebellion art, and I think we forget that we get lost in the practice, practice, practice. No, we're rebellion art. Without the rebellion arts part of it, it's just notes. You know what I mean? And and they just came across as it was just powerful. It empowered you. It gave you this feeling and. Um, Man, and he did it with such ease. Like you're saying, I watched that guy get hammered and just like, but his hands were like this, like they were their own species. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's incredible to watch. I mean, uh, the, the, you know, the entire band, just like every now and then you find that that group that every everybody's in tune with each other. You know what I mean? Phil's voice, Vinny. An incredible drummer, you know Rex on bass. Just the tonalities work so well together, and you know you come across it, and it's just something special, you know. And that's what that band was. You know, that, there's a lot of new bands. Gajira is a, a phenomenal band right now that's kicking. But I like, I listen to everything though. Like I, I'm, I'll go from that to old to new. You know, like I, I, I like studying this the sonics sounds of things you know from i'm all over the place you know like uh, when i listen to that um the the soundtrack for stranger days man i i listen to that soundtrack and i'm like this is like the 80s but like this new sound like how are they getting that and so so i i got so into that movie that i ended up doing a uh, a score for this uh short scary movie and it was like my first score. I was like, you know, I gotta, I want to learn how to do that. And I ended up winning this uh, France uh, award thing. Um, and I'm like, that. It's just such a crazy. It's a crazy world, man. If you just put yourself out there, say, hey, man, that was inspiring. I want to learn how to do that, and try. You know, be honest with yourself and try. Make you know what sounds cool. The thing is with music is just do it until it you know it's good so many people just write a riff and say okay that's that's a riff no right play it's how you play it there's how many songs are a three chord progression why can that guy play a three chord progression it just sounds different you know you gotta you got it's how that the heart of that and that's that's where the the, the that whole art form to me is amazing you know? Well, that's the difference between the people on TikTok, a lot of them for me. And I'm not taking away from the fact that you have, like, look, there's some of these guys that are doing all these slap, uh, crazy, ridiculous techniques because, you know, like Nuno lamented on our show about, like, you know, well, we didn't have YouTube and Eddie Van Halen played with his back to the audience. And, you know, we just had to fucking look at our friends and we got, you know, our Uncle Bobby and that's it. And fuck you guys because now you have people like, who grew up listening to Extreme or Van Halen, who are yeah, like, you know, with their that, kids. Those created Bumblebee, so I mean, that's fine yeah, too, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. But the thing is, at what point, though, 
and you're talking about so like Miles Davis you were joking we're joking around before like Miles Kennedy versus Miles Davis and uh, Miles Davis one of my favorite uh, quotes he has and I'm pretty sure it's Miles Davis he's like it's not it's it's 20% about the note you're playing and 80% of the attitude of the motherfucker mm-hmm. playing the note. And totally. Remember when Miles Davis did the, 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 it was the black and white movie, another amazing piece. Like he did a black and white movie where he just plays, he's watching the screen and just ad-libbing. And that's the, that's the entire soundtrack. It's an incredible piece of art. And no one really even knows about it. No one ever sits and says, I'm going to listen to that. And, and But it's just like, I, you know, I, I watched a thing on it. And I'm like, and I watched it. And I'm like, I'm going to listen to this thing. What was he? And he, one take, the whole movie's done. And he just plays through the, how, it's just a trumpet in him. And it's, that's the soundtrack. And it's in, fucking incredible. And it's, but Miles Kennedy is an am, amazing guitar player too, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, he's stupid good. He's, and he's so, like hum- he's, 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 he's humble good, about dude. it too. He's, he's a like, so he's sweet. a jerk. He he's like he's the kind of guy that could play Jason Becker, and he's like, oh no, dude, I just you know I just fiddle around. Like meanwhile, <laughs> I listened to his entire new solo record, and it's it's scary good how his guitar playing yeah. is. It's like fusiony. It's like is that Tony McAlpine or is that fucking Miles Kennedy? But yeah, it's Miles Kennedy. Yeah, I mean that's you know like you find your influences like. <laughs> When people say, who's your favorite guitar player and all that, you know, like, man, you know, I I come from a family of, you know, my brother's an amazing guitar player. And, and you know, you've, you know, you grew up around an entire family that could play and, and they were inspired by cool people. Everybody was inspired by different people. And eventually you say, why were you inspired by that? And you see, you want to know, I mean, George Harris, the Beatles wouldn't be the Beatles without those weird secondary guitar parts. You know what I mean? And they were simple, but it was just the perfect notes for that time. You know, it's like, it's not how many notes and there's a whole genre for, to, for uh, fans that say, man, I, I can't wait to hear, you know, Michelangelo just like, you know, you know, it's amazing. And, but there's like, there's so many cool things about. Okay, the but you you just brought up a good point because I saw Michelangelo Badio do a, like a 47 minute live Dimebag Daryl Pantera tribute, and it was it was exactly what you think it'd be. It's him playing every Pantera song perfectly, playing the guitar solos perfectly, but even crazier than perfect. And it's like, and he did it live. He he streamed it live. And the question is. But does, does he have does he have any friends? And I know he's a really nice guy. In fact, I'm not making fun of him. But I think immediately when I see that level of talent, I'm like, I think his is, is is he, is he, is, is only friend because it's the same haircut since the beginning of time. Well, and I'll tell you something else about TikTok. So there's something I saw on Loudwire. There's some girl, and she's like, I don't know, like 18 years old, and she looks like Daria, like the cartoon, and she's like this little pleasant, like librarian-looking girl. And they said this girl embodies the soul of Dimebag Daryl and I'm like okay clickbait and I go and look at it and I swear to fucking god it sounded like Dimebag Daryl like (laughs) on a Ouija board was playing through this perfectly demure nice pleasant and she's just looking at the camera she's not looking at her fingers at all and she's just playing and she has the same you can see the vibrato the way she's holding it and she's doing it with such finesse and care and I'm like it was the first time I believed in reincarnation. I actually looked when Dimebag Daryl died and when this girl was born because 
I've seen it all, dude. If you want to see, if you want to fucking flip yourself out, just Google like YouTube girl dime bag Daryl, and you'll find this one, and it's dead on. Everyone sends me like, oh, it's the Japanese girl playing Eruption, but it sounds like a Japanese girl playing Eruption. No, this sounds like Dimebag Daryl came back from the fucking dead through this fucking girl, and it's creepy as fuck. And that's all I gotta tell you about the YouTube. It scares me, and I don't <laughs> even want to play anymore. <laughs> but then you get into the writing of it. Can she write like <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. right. No, sure, of course. Will you ever hear that? No. I mean, it, I, no. you can go to Vegas, and I swear, guys sing better than Elvis in Vegas. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Sure, oh, yeah. yeah. Are they Elvis? You right. know what I mean? Well, we we talked about this the other day in the dressing room when you wandered in asking about violin stuff, and we were talking about composers and how like so many of them had debilitating mental illness, and how that's actually like a huge part of the music. <laughs> no, really though, that but is, it is, it is, is it's true. It is odd to to watch like an, an amazing classical player that has not experienced any of those things, you know, but they execute it so well that you're like, wow, that really is. I mean, it's 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 odd, but it's it's right. It comes down to the writing of it, I guess. It's just, yeah. I mean, there's the, the I think. The, there's a, the, the depression part of our gig, you know, like where you're hyper depressed, you know, like a lot, I think a lot of writers and it's your only outlet. It's the only therapist that you know that works, you know what I mean? And it only works until the next song. And it's this, this ongoing thing. And even when you go to a therapist, you know, they, you know, I just find something that you know they tell you and all that calm voice and that sounds cool but until you can release something and i think even with fans i think america was wrecked not going to see live concerts for two years mm -hmm. i think yeah. the country has never been in a shittier spot when you can't have a release through music and it's the most underrated no one talks about it but i'm like that's you're watching the country fall apart and now the country everybody now everybody's back to just straight up bitching and it's not falling apart anymore and it's coming back together kind of but it's it the, the, when you don't when you can't when you're sitting at your house and you can't go out and have that release sing as loud as you want it was this it, it, i think it had this weird effect on people um, it's you know it's interesting yeah. you say that because I played a festival right at, on uh, after September 11th to, and um, I remember all the headliners so you were it was supposed to be like a local festival in front of 25,000 people with the rock station WAAF that was out here RIP yeah Mistress Carrie right Mistress yeah. Carrie hell yeah dude yeah and uh, the local bazooka was the name of the show and and we had there was a bunch of big bands on and they all canceled except for Henry Rollins. And I got to tell you, because I love Henry Rollins more than anybody, because, I mean, even as a speaker, as a band, like, I could care less. Oh, Black Fly changed the world. Yeah. Oh, well, that song, if you go back and listen to it, is so poignant now, actually, because everything he says, it, you know, is what you want to hear. And yeah. then he's your friend, and then you believe him. But the thing okay. is, he came out in 2001, and I remember everyone, again, everyone canceled. We were all scared. Like, you're going to be in a large group. Is someone going to be blown up? Is someone going to fly a plane into you? And Rollins just came out on that fucking stage, and it was the most insane havoc and you know the guy has the greatest stage presence in the history of fucking time just with black flag so i remember that and then i remember not seeing anyone in covid which is the longest i've never played live or not seen a live show and i remember one of the first shows i saw back was garbage and shirley manson came out on stage and she started crying because she's yeah. like you don't know how much i we appreciate this and i was sitting there cathartically as a musician going no shirley manson 
I know exactly how much you appreciate this. And we all, like, I sang every garbage song. I didn't know them, but I Googled the words just so I could feel like I was part of it. <laughs> and then I saw Alanis Morissette because that was my childhood. And I just know every song on Jagged Little Pill, and she played the whole thing perfectly, Amazing and I cried. It cried. But the point was is I needed that so bad, and I didn't know until I needed it that I was, I was literally crying. I had tears coming down my face yeah. knowing that Dave Coulier was, you know, that song you ought to know was about him. And I knew that, and I was singing, and I was in 1995 instead of COVID. That's it's, it's, it's two years. Rant over. 9-11, a two-year 9-11. And it was like, it just it affects yeah. people, you know? By the way, the, uh, Henry Rollins, uh, Shut Up and Get in the Band is an amazing book. Check that all one. of his but all of his books are good. Yeah. All the shows he's ever been on, he has his own publishing company. I just saw him speak live. So my fiance, just as a side note, I told I take her to things, and she always wonders wonders about my judgment. And I bought her tickets to go see Henry Rollins, and she's like, "Who is it?" I'm like, "It's a speaker. Is he a comedian? Not exactly, but he's funny." Yeah. Well, why do I want to go see him? Well, he talks for three hours, two and a half hours, and it's just like off the top of his head, and it's great. She's like, I really fucking hate you for taking me to this. And then we left, and we got out, and she goes, Oh my god! For ninety minutes, it went it went by fast. I'm like, Sweetheart, you're reading your clock, your 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 your, your watch wrong. It was two and a half hours because that yeah. dude literally just ranted about you know the craziest shit because he's Henry Rollins. And I think to myself, Is this guy our modern day you know Socrates? Or yeah. Descartes is fucking Henry Rollins, the guy from Black Fra- Flag. Like that's yeah. the truth. As long as he stays out of acting, where he's going to do well, you know, like that one movie. <laughs> Flea did it. So did the dude from all the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, whatever. Henry Rollins Every- looks angry, and yeah, using Sons of Anarchy too. I think too. Yeah, and absolutely. You don't have to act to be on that show. No, man. Listen, he. Uh, the thing about his book was it was just a lot of truth. I mean, it, it was so hardcore. It was just a, he created a scene. He knows how to, when he tells a story, it's just, you feel like you're in the, the stinky club with him. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. wow, you know, everybody's bleeding. You know, the cl- manager's not paying you that night. You know, the van's blowing up, you know, the fans, all the, his whole story is amazing. You know, so yeah, I, uh, there's a, there's a few, I think he, he uh, there's a few more people out there that are kind of like him. You know, um, the um, what's that one guy? I can't, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. I can't, of course, but but anyway, he was he was amazing. Remember when he jumped up and kicked? He was so excited. He jumped up and knocked himself out. I don't remember. No, dude, he jumped. He's he, he's so excited. He comes out on stage, runs out, jumps up, knees himself in the face. And <laughs> out. Holy shit! They don't play. They don't even fucking play. And I'm like. That is so bad I'm like, can you imagine being so pumped? Oh, you know, you're like, he was in the full Rollins mode, runs out, jumps up, knees himself in the face. I'm like, I, I could tell you exactly when I found out he was the coolest because there uh, there was a local radio station that used to play like, you know, the, you know, the local stuff, like the college stations and they'd play whatever they wanted, whether it was Dr. Demento or what, and someone put on, uh, Henry Rollins and there's a track called The Blueprints for the Destruction of the World and you you could just think about what that's about it's 12 minutes long and I remember not knowing who Henry Rollins was I was like maybe 11 listening on my mono boom box and I'm like find all the drugs don't do cocaine because you're a pussy like all these things he say like <laughs> and then go into the store and just steal everything because it's yours and like he's just saying all this crazy shit and I'm like who is this guy He's like, you want to know how you do a drug deal, man? He's like, 
do you have the drugs? Do you have the money? Yeah. And then you fucking leave. Like, or you kill the guy. Like, like, literally, and he says the craziest shit. And I remember literally writing it down before they had Google or YouTube and going to my local comic book store and recanting this track. And they're like, maybe you're talking about spoken word. It's probably Rollins. And I actually bought the double record set that, the blueprints of destruction of the world when i was 11 years old because i heard it on a station and i was just like who's this nihilistic dude i feel like i should copy his humor he's still he's still out there doing this right he's still out yeah. there making new shit i saw him yeah. like two months ago he was fucking brilliant talking a guy just so you know he talked somebody broke into his house that's like three quarters of his show. He talks about how he had a guy who was psychotic broke into his house, which is supposedly a compound, and uh, that basically he had a. It was it's the craziest thing ever, and he turns that into two and a half hours of just holy shit because it's Henry Rollins. <laughs> Henry Rollins. <laughs> By the way, Henry Rollins has not endorsed this or paid right, us any right. money. I was going to say we just went off like, the rails. Like Henry's, he's texting me right now, saying, "Tell him to shut the fuck up." <laughs> <laughs> you should actually personally say, "Shut the fuck up." <laughs> we uh, we got we got about uh, eight minutes left in, in part one. Um, How many? And so. I Eight, and you took up about 50. So we need to get more of Corey in this episode. Yeah. The, uh, there's, I love uh, him. He's awesome. He's awesome. They, they, they told me how cool it was going to be. And like, wait till you, wait till you hear Benny. Benny, <laughs> and you know what? I, I'm making it like four cups of coffee, and I will be like a whole different person with you. Like, <laughs> no, well, man, listen, dude, when you energy, come to Boston, dude, bro, please, I love please. Your energy. Keep your energy exactly where it is, man. It's awesome. Yeah. Don't encourage him too much. Um, <laughs> we, uh, I definitely, in the next uh, part, I want to talk about current touring with Seether and when, what you guys are doing. I'm, you know, you guys have been on the road now for, for a few weeks, so I'd love to hear about how all that's going. Um, yeah. But what I would like to kind of get into, and we can start it in this part, is, you know, you, you do some production and music, uh, like producing outside of just performing. And that's not, you know, something that every guitar player, musician kind of goes for. So how, how did you kind of shift into that world of actually beyond songwriting, creating the whole picture? Yeah, um... I got into recording, you know, like just like everybody else. You know, for me, I had a boombox and I would take my boombox, hit record, play something, and then I would put it, uh, grab another tape and hit with another second boombox, hit record so I could solo over it. And then I would sing over it. And like, then I finally got a four track and I thought, I am getting ready to desecrate the world. This is going to be amazing then an eight track and then um I, I just i like that whole concept of being able to to separate things and 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 actually record you know like I, even like the beginning where you just, you just hold a mic in a room and track your own band um that was so you could hear it it was like first it started out like does this song sound good without playing does it sound good when i match play and and, and stuff like that then and i just got <clears throat> kept going into that world. Rick Parasha, we did the Stereo Mud record. And I was deep into it at that point, but I had no confidence, you know, as far as that side of the fence. 
learning how to work with a singer and talk Wait, to him did about Mar- Did Marty erase all your tracks too? Did he tell you that you like <laughs> suck just by getting rid of them? Because that's what Marty Friedman does and you shouldn't take it personally. Marty Friedman? No, I was joking. I was joking because that's what he did to Jeff Loomis, and he made Jeff. At, yeah, yeah, he yeah, yeah, with okay, we can get yeah. back into a- your ignore. Story. Yeah, it's fine. So, so, so Rick Prosher, he left the studio. He says, "Do you know what you're doing?" And I said, "I know what I want." Yes, and he and he says, "Okay, I'll be back." And he left the whole day, and <laughs> I, I was just so I'm like, so I'm like mounting, you know, like I'm in the captain chair, you know, and this, the first song I did was Pain. And he came in and said, you know what? He says, this is good. He had one little suggestion, you know, like in that bridge section, can we kind of shorten it a little bit? And we, I think we took like four bars out, or eight bars out something. And, and that became the song. And he says, listen, keep doing what you're doing. And it, it, he says, the, he says, the best part of a producer is, is if the artist knows what he wants, and gets out of the way. The best producers get out of the way and let the artist be artist. Mm-hmm. And it just it, it it gave me a lot of confidence to have it. He had my back at any point. I could have called him and said, "Hey, man, I don't know what the hell, you know." But I, I mean, I, and the band was super cool. Eric Rogers, you know, he would. I was talking to him about where to sing from your throat, you know, you know, how to project and stuff like that. And it it just. From that point, I started doing things for free for local bands. And just because, you know, we paid a half a million dollars for the record. I learned all this stuff. Let me pass it on and, and see if there's even, will I have interest in it? So, and it went from local bands and then one band said, man, we'll pay you. And I was like, okay. And, and then then I got, you know, started getting paid more and more. And then man, then now I have a manager that's actually getting me, you know, legitimate gigs with labels and stuff like that. So it was a, but it was a, a, a process, you know what I mean? But Rick Prosher, I got to give him the credit as far as letting me know that you, you've got this, you know, you know what you want. You're, the arrangements are good and stuff like that. He taught, you know, just you learn so much from all these great producers. I'm friends with just as many producers as probably musicians. I t- call to them all the time, send demos and, you know, we send each other mixes and what do you think of this? You know, like, and we have suggestions and this is small community that uh, everybody's super cool. And cause at the end of the day, you just want the best stuff out there. And the only way you're going to get it these days is, it, you know, someone learns a new trick, you share it. You know, the ones that are well, like, do you no, feel? Do you, yeah, I can't. Well, I do you feel like every? You, you know, there's so much like pop music and and, and you know R and B and 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 you know obviously rap and uh, kind of, I don't want to say clogging up the airways, but that like now like if there's rock music of any kind that makes through, like it's less competition in the sense like fuck those guys. It's more of just like thank God that there's rock and roll on the radio or getting kind of airplay now. So why wouldn't you share whatever secrets you have because you're still fighting against you know the enemy because we're rebellion music. That's it. That's it. Period. <laughs> Always. Yeah. But right. we don't have like uh, twenty people writing a pre-course either, you know. Yeah. Usually, <laughs> you know, usually just one of us whipping it right. out pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Old school. That's great. Well, listen, uh, Corey, uh, <laughs> thank you for hanging. Uh, part one, uh, you know, two zero two zero dash d dot com. 
Uh, we have another uh, episode coming out next week with you, and we're excited to dive into that as well. Uh, is there anything you want to tell our viewers and listeners about before we head out? On the next episode, Benny is going to express himself so well to you guys. Like, oh boy, just go to part two, me and Benny. <laughs> We're going to figure all of it out on this next show. Siobhan's so disappointed in you. <laughs> so, with that, you've been 2020. Corey, it's been great talking to you. We can't wait to dive back in with part two. So, stick around for part two with Corey Lowry. ALS awareness for Jason. Thanks for bringing it up, Corey. We love you, man. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 99, featuring Satchel of Steel Panther. Check it out. Yeah, it was, I mean, listen, Vinnie Paul was fucking awesome, dude. I got to say, I went to a a, a Pantera show when they were playing in, um, in... Amsterdam years and years ago and I went with a friend of mine and um, we all smoked pot with Pantera it was a head it was a headlining show they were they were at I can't remember where they played but it was somewhere in, in Amsterdam and we were backstage with them before they went on and we smoked pot with them and those guys like they smoked so much fucking pot before they went on that my friend couldn't go, he couldn't move. He fucking, he passed out from the pot and fell fell asleep on the floor backstage. And I oh, went man. out and watched Pantera. And those guys were already smoking when I got there. And I was so high, I couldn't feel my toes. And those guys went out and they played the tightest set I've ever seen a fucking band play. It was the most mind-boggling thing I've ever seen. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.